and you should leave all the sins that you commit, the ones that you commit openly, apparently, in the zahir, and the ones that you commit secretly, inwardly, internally, in the batin. So it means Allah commanded us in Quran to leave all the different types of sins that we commit, whether we do them openly or secretly, whether they be external sins or internal sins. Now what is the definition of a sin, itham or dhamb? The definition of sin in our deen is very easy. It means to break any of the commandments of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, to violate any of his rules, to go against any of his ahkam, and secondly, to break any one of the sunnahs of the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So a sin in our deen means to break any of the commandments of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, or to break or refuse to follow or refuse to believe in any of the established sunnahs of the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, this is the meaning of sin in our deen. Now, the apparent sins, the zahir sins, are things that all of us know very well, like lying, stealing, eating pork, drinking alcohol, etc. What are the batina? What are the internal and inner sins? So just like there is a long list of external sins, there is a long list of internal sins, such as lust, inability to control your gaze, unlawful desires, greed, love of wealth, love of the dunya, envy, jealousy, <coughs> bughaz, spite, malice, and hatred for your fellow Muslim, ujub, kibur, and takabur, conceit, pride, and arrogance. All of these things form the inner sins. And know that just as haram it is to do an external sin, it is equally as haram to do an inner sin. What do I mean by that? Just like all of us find that it's extremely unpleasant or uh, reprehensible for us to eat one morsel of pork, just like that it is as haram to have one drop of takabur inside your heart. Just like it is haram to have one bite of pork, it is equally haram to have one gaze somewhere you're not supposed to look at. Because Allah has equated these dhunub or equated these sins in this ayah, وَذَرُ ذَاهِرَ الْإِثْمِ بَبَاطِنَا and you must leave the external sins that you commit and the inner sins that you commit. So the likeness of sin, when Allah uses the word dharu, means stay away from, abstain, refrain. Keep yourself very far away from all these different types of sin. Leave the committing of these sins. So Armashai gives the example of a child. That if there's a live wire, a 1000 volt electric wire somewhere, so you know that that child, or even an adult, not only will they refuse to touch that wire, but he will not come anywhere near that wire. Why? Because there's so much danger involved. He knows that his physical body is at so much danger. If he touches that wire, 
So he's going to keep a comfortable distance to be on the safe side. He's going to stay away from that wire, where just like that, the heart of the true believer keeps himself not only away from involving himself in sin, but he or she, she stays away even from coming close to sin. This is what Al-Smatal is demanding of you. This is actually the, the hidden meaning or the deeper meaning of this Arabic <coughs> word, Zaru. It means don't just stop committing sin, but don't even come anywhere near that sin. And that is the whole philosophy of our Sharia, that it closes off all the paths that lead to sin. It does what we call in English, it nips the evil in the butt. It doesn't even let you come anywhere near, anywhere near a place of sin, a person of sin, an opportunity of sin. So the likeness of sin, our Mashaikh says, is like a cancer. Now when a person has a cancerous part of his body, he has two options. The doctor will tell him very simply, that well, we have to operate, and we have to remove this cancerous part of your body. If you don't wish to get the operation, if you don't let this cancerous part of your body be removed, then this cancer will spread throughout your entire body, will poison your whole body, and then you will die. Well, just like that, the likeness of a sin in the, in the spirit of a believer, in the ruh of a believer, is like a cancer. And unless he removes that sin, unless he leaves that sin, if he fails to do that, then the effects of that sin will transform or permeate his entire ruh and will leave him spiritually dead. And this is what happens is that we persist in our sins, we get lost in our way of sins, until we slowly but gradually but surely die a spiritual death. Hafiz ibn al-Qayyum, rahimahullah, Hafiz ibn al-Qayyum al-Jawziya, rahimahullah, one of the great imams, he said, there's narrated from him that he said, that, oh my friends, do not look at how small the sin is or how great the sin is that you commit. Do not look at how small the sin is or how great the sin is that you commit, but look at how great that being is against whom you are sinning. So when you reflect on the majesty, the azma, the jalal, the majesty of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then even the smallest of sin will seem like a major transgression in your eyes. So don't make excuses for yourself that this is just a small sin, or maybe Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will forgive me because He is Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim. No, He is also Al-Aziz, Al-Hakim, Dhu Intikam, Inna Akhzahu Alimun Shadeed, that His Akhaz, His punishment on that day of judgment, is alimun shadidun, is painful, is pain-giving, extremely painful. So whenever we come near a moment of sin, we should reflect on the majesty of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. One of the famous tabin, Shaykh Atta bin Abi Rabah, rahimahullah, he was the teacher of Imam, one of the teachers of Imam Abu Nifa, rahmatullah So this tabin, this great person, one of our spies, Salaf Salihin, he said, he once addressed his students, and he said that, oh my friends, what if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala addresses us on the day of judgment in such a way? And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that all my servants, when you wish to commit any sin, you closed all the doors to your room. You drew all the curtains in your window. You closed all the doors from which creation could look at you because you were ashamed to commit that sin in front of them. All my servant, did you not realize that you cannot close the doors from which I could look at you? Do you not even have as much shame in front of me that you have in front of creation? Do you value me less than you do all of the other members of creation? So Shaykh Atab bin Abi Rabbah was trying to explain that whenever we commit a sin, we should never think that Allah doesn't know or that he's not aware or that he's not watching or that he's not going to take us to account for it. But rather, whenever we commit a sin or even our heart inclines towards a sin, we should reflect upon the majesty of Allah and think <coughs> and be aware that he is looking at us.
We should also know that if we don't leave our sins, why is this hukum in the Quran so important, this amr, this command, because unless we become people who leave sin, our ibadah, our worship, our a'mal, our good deeds will fail to be of benefit for us. Again, our Mashaik explained it as follows. They say that good deeds have the likeness of ether, or utter, of a perfume or fragrance. And when you, the likeness of sins is like garbage. So imagine that person who is standing in the middle of a garbage dump. Now if a person is standing in the middle of a garbage dump, even if he puts the whole bottle of fragrance upon him, it's not going to do any good, and he's not going to become fragrant. But if that same person takes himself out of the garbage dump, and even if he just puts a few drops of ether on himself, or fragrance on himself, then he will become perfumed and fragrant. So it means that unless we leave our sins, then for each and every good action that we do, for each and every nafal salah that we pray, for each and every moment of, or page of the Qur'an that we read, we are just erasing the newer of those actions with our sins. It just takes one gaze on one screen and we can wipe away an entire day, an entire week, an entire month's work of atma. But that person who is able to leave sin, then all he needs to do is do a small amount of a'mal and he will become pleasing in the eyes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Just like that person who has removed himself from the garbage dump, only has to put a few drops of fragrance on himself and he will become fragrant smelling. So know that everything has an effect. Everything has an effect. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Quran al-Kareem, anybody who commits a bad action, anybody who commits a sin, anybody who breaks the law of the Sharia, yudzabihi, surely he will face its consequence, he will be recompensed for that. So each and every action has an effect. This is your law of science, right? Every action has a reaction. Each and every action is an equal and opposite reaction. So know that each and every one of our sins has an effect, has a consequence. There's no way that we commit a sin and there's no consequence of it. Whether we see it or not, or that happens immediately or not, is something else. As sure as fire is warm, and as sure as ice is cold, know that each and every one of our sins will have an effect on us. So the first effect of our sin is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes us worried in this life. And when we commit a sin, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sends some type of worry, some type of anxiety, some type of difficulty, some type of ibtila, some type of test, some type of trial, some type of tribulation on our life. And it can come from any source. It can come from your spouse, it can come from your husband, it can come from your wife, it can come from your children, it can come from your parents, it can come from your boss, it can come from your health. It can come from your studies. Anything in life, somehow Allah will punish you, will test you, will give you that recompense, the jaza, the retribution for your actions in this world. So all these different worries that we think are all these problems that we have in life. And we blame them on one another, we blame them on outside or external forces. No. Know that we have no one to blame for our worries except our own selves, except our own sins, except our own actions. So the first consequence of sin is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will bring a worry in a person's life. In fact, one of our famous mashayikh of Hind, Sheikh Masihullah Rahimahullah, who was the Khalifa of Sheikh Ashraf Ali Tanvin, he used to say to his students that do whatever you want in this world. Do whatever you want, but always remember that as many sins that you do, 
as much as you earn the hellfire in this world, Allah will make your life a living hell. The ancient, every sin that you do, it will just add to your worries. So if you wish, you may do whatever you want in this world, but know that by doing whatever you want, in other words, by breaking the laws of Allah, then you are just making your life on earth like a hell. You are just causing difficulty and trouble for your own self. So the solution to this is that for a person that he should repent, make istighfar and do tawbah to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So all of us know this. And in fact, it's not a surprising thing that people commit sin. It's natural for all of us to fall into sin sooner or later. The surprising thing, both to ourselves and the thing that surprises or possibly angers Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is that we delay in our tawbah. Is that we postpone in repenting to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Some of us go so far as to think that we're going to do that sin one last time. We indulge ourselves in one last look. We even tell ourselves that, look, I'm so weak, I just can't control myself, let me just do it one more time, and after I do it, then I'll make tawbah. So what type of tawbah is that? Tawbah means tark. Tawbah means to leave that action. It doesn't mean to do that action immediately then and there, and then think you're going to repent from it later. So this theory or this way that shaitan or our nafs, or we fool ourselves, that we're going to do it just one last time, or we're too weak to stop it now, no. This is not pleasing in the eyes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This isn't tawbah to nasuh, or this isn't uh, uh, the real and uh, honest and sincere tawbah in the eyes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In fact, the Mufassirin write that there were five things that shaitan did, five things that Iblis did that made him shaitan, five things that, that define his repudiation or the fact that he is al-rajim. And we should look at ourselves and see how many of these five things do we have. As when shaitan made a sin, when he made a mistake, when he refused to make sajda to Sayyidina Adam alayhi salam, he committed a sin. Because we said sin is to break the commandments of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He had a direct command to make sajda and he refused, he disobeyed, he committed a sin. But after he did that sin, he did five things. After doing that sin. And it was because of these five things that he was mardud, that he was rejected, he was repudiated from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And we should see that do we do any of these things when we commit a sin? So the first thing is that after he committed the sin, he didn't do ikrar, he didn't acknowledge, he didn't admit his wrongdoing. He didn't admit that he did a sin. He denied that he committed a sin. In fact, he presented his own logic, he presented his reason. He said, Ana khayru minhu, that I'm better than us. In Adam alayhi salam, because you made me from fire and you made him from earth. So not only did he fail to accept or acknowledge his sin, he denied his sin, and he tried to justify his action. So think how many times when we commit sins do we deny that we do them? How many times are we in self-denial? How many times are we in self-delusion? <coughs> how many times do we give our own excuses, our reasons, our justifications for sin? That the society requires it, my boss requires it, what could I do, I had no other choice. We don't do ikrar. The first failure of shaitan was he failed to do iqrar, he failed to acknowledge, admit, and testify to his sin. The second, the second thing that shaitan did, or rather that he failed to do, was that he was not nadim, he did not have nadma, he did not have any remorse or any regret over his action. After he did it, and he saw that all the other angels did sajda, and he saw that Al-Fatah was angry with him, he still did not feel any remorse or regret. He did it and he couldn't care less. How many times do we commit sin? And we don't feel any remorse or regret over our action. We'll commit that sin and then we'll put on our clothes or we'll put on our faces again and we'll just go out in front of the world feeling no remorse or regret. So the second mistake shaitan made 
the first was he didn't do ikrar, didn't accept his sin. The second was that he wasn't nadim, he wasn't remorseful or regretful or sad about what he did. The third thing is that he did not, after being remorseful and regretful, which he should have been, he did not reprimand himself. He did not check himself. He did not scold himself. He did not punish himself. He did not take himself to task. Rather than waiting for Allah to take himself to task, hasibu qabla an tuhasibu. There's a saying in Arabic to take yourself to task before you are taken to account. So he failed to do this. He didn't take himself to task. He didn't reflect on what he did. So how many times do we commit sin and we don't punish ourselves? In fact, our Mashaik teaches that when you commit a sin, you should punish yourself. You should not let yourself have ice cream that night. You should not let yourself do something that you wanted to do. If you committed a sin and you were about to go see your friend, you should not let yourself go see that friend. But instead, immediately, you should do inabat or you should do wuju. You should turn back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So shaitan failed to do ikrar. He failed to have nadama. And he failed to take himself to task. The fourth thing is he did not seek the forgiveness of Allah and nor did he make tawbah. He neither did istighfar nor did he do tawbah. This is why they say that shaitan, even though he was an abid, he was a worshipper of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In some of us, in some hadith, he is referred to as a ta'usul malaika. That he was a jinn, but he re- reached the crown of the angels. In other words, he was allowed to keep the company of the angels and do ibadah with them. So he was an abid. He was an alim. He had a lot of knowledge. He was even an arif. That will come a bit later. But he was not an ashik of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He did not have that love for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And therefore, when he saw that Allah Taala was angered, he wasn't bothered. Because he didn't love his Lord. So if you, don't love, if you love your beloved, then the most distressing thing to you in the world is that your beloved may be angry with you. So the fourth thing that shaitan then failed to do is he failed to make his tikfar tawbah. He failed to ask Allah to forgive him. And he failed to repent to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. How many times do we do sin and we don't even bother to ask Allah to forgive us for them? How many sins do we have that we still have yet failed to make true tawbah, true repentance from them? That we have sincerely pledged to Allah Taala that from the depths of my heart, I promise and I pledge that I will never do this sin again. I won't go near the people who do this sin. I won't go near the places who do this sin. I won't go near the technology that takes me to this sin. How many times have we failed to do that? And number five, shaitan despaired of the mercy of Allah. At the very end, and this is why they say he's arif, because he asked Osman, he said, Rabbi, he said, oh my Rabb, uh, give me some stay, give me some leave. When Osman uh, expelled him from the Jannah and told him that he was repudiated, he was redeemed, he asked Osman, give me some leave until the Yawm al-Din. Let me be free, leave me to my own devices until the Yawm al-Din. So the Mufassir said that he was Arif. He also knew that Osman would let him do that. But he, despair, he knew that at Instead of asking to be uh, given, granted a leave or stay or a requital until the Day of Judgment, he should have asked Allah for mercy. He should have turned to Allah at that moment. When he called out Rabbi, when he even addressed Allah that way, that my Lord, he should have asked Allah to forgive him, but instead he despaired of the mercy or he didn't choose to avail himself of the mercy of Allah. How many of us do that? That we fall into some sin and we don't look or we don't turn to Allah's rahmah. We deny the rahmah of Allah. So these are the five things that made shaitan mardud, rejected after he committed that sin. So therefore, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala cast him out forever. And we should look how many of these things that we have. And in contrast, we should look at Sayyidina Adam alayhi salam. When Sayyidina Adam alayhi salam, all of you know, and we won't go into the details now, 
But how shaitan is first job then is a vengeful person. He has a deep hatred, spite for all of humanity. And especially for that human being due to, the, due to whom or for who he believes that due to him that he was expelled from Jannah. So the very first thing he did was he attacked Sayyidina Adam And he whispered to him and he tricked Sayyidina Adam and Sayyidina Hawa to do that which Al-Fatah had forbidden them from doing. Sayyidina Adam made a khata, he made a mistake. But what was his response after he made a mistake? So what did Sayyidina Adam do? He did all of these things. He had ikrar. He immediately accepted his sin. He said, Rabbana zalamna anfusana. He said, oh our Lord, we have wronged ourselves. He acknowledged that he did a sin immediately. Did not try to justify his action. He had nadamat, he had remorse, he had regret. He made istighfar, he made tawbah, he turned to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He did not despair of the mercy, but he said, Ya Allah, truly, if you don't forgive us, if you do not send your forgiveness upon us, if you do not send your mercy upon us, that we will be amongst the lost ones. So compare Sayyidina Adam to Shaitan. So think, whose path are we on? When we commit a sin, do we follow the path of Sayyidina Adam that we acknowledge our sin, that we return to Allah in forgiveness and repentance, in dua, that we look upon His mercy, or are we following the path of Shaitan in which we refuse to accept that we sin, we deny to ourselves, to others that we sin, we feel no remorse and regret when we sin, we neither make istighfar, nor tawbah, nor do we turn to the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If a person does a sin and repents, Allah says in Quran, and he can even change our bad deeds to our good deeds. This is the power of the mercy of Allah. This is why he said in Quran, La taqnatu rahmatullah, that you should never despair of the mercy of Allah. Ya ibadi alladheena asrafu ala anfusikum, la taqnatu rahmatullah. That all my servants who have wronged themselves do not despair of the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If you look at this ayah, who is this ayah about? Alladheena asrafu ala anfusikum. Those of you who have wronged your own selves, have done israf, have gone to excesses, have wronged your own selves. It means those of you who have sinned. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, not only does He address the Alladheena amanu, but He also addresses the Alladheena asrafu. Even addresses the people of sin in the Quran amongst his servants. So when he addressed the people of sin, he should have been upset with them. He should have told them that, Oh, Allah, I have prepared Jahannam for you. Know that my anger is great. Know that my akhaz is great. But no, what did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say? First, he still called them his ibad. He still referred to them as his servants. It means that, oh, you people who oppress, oppress your own selves, know that I do not remove you from my ibad. I still view you as my servants. You have not left the ranks of Ubudiyah because Allah says elsewhere in Quran that He has bought our souls uh, in exchange for Jannah. He has bought our souls and our wealth and everything that we have in exchange for Jannah. So we are sold properly. Allah never gives up on us. He never removes us from the ranks of His slaves as long as we have the drop of Iman in our hearts. Not only did He refer to us as Ibad, but He said, Ya Ibadi. He used the Ya Nisbat. He said that you are still my servants. You're not just servants. That you are still mine. Even if you wrong yourselves, even if you oppress yourselves, Allah still says that you are still His. 
And then what did he tell you? لا تقنطوا من رحمت الله Do not despair of the mercy of Allah No matter how low you may have gone No matter how deep a rut you may have fallen into No matter how many sins you may have committed Know that the rahmah, the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Is so encompassing, is so vast, is so great That it can swallow up all of your sins with ease Ya ibadi alladhina asrafu ala anfusihim La taqnadu ma rahmatullah Do not despair of the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Fuzayl ibn Allah says that whenever I used to commit a sin, whenever I broke one of the commandments of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, I used to see that somebody around me would disobey me. That whenever I disobeyed Allah, either my wife would disobey me, my children would disobey me, so much so that sometimes my mount, my steed, my riding animal, that would disobey me. Something or other in life would disobey me whenever I disobeyed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So we should think that if we ever feel like that, if the father feels that the son doesn't listen to him, if this man feels that the wife doesn't listen to him, if the wife feels that her husband isn't listening to her, if the mother feels that the children aren't listening to her, maybe she should reflect that maybe I must have at some point in my life not listened to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so as a jaza, as a recompense, as a retribution for my sin, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is making some member of creation not listen to me. This was the experience of Sayyidina Fuzayl ibn Ayaz rahimahullah. So what would be the condition of people like us? These are some of the meanings of Mayyamusu an Yudzabihi. That any person who does any type of bad deed, Allah will surely see to it that he is recompensed for that action. And this is the thing is that we, this is our human nature, is that we want those of us who are matahat, those of us who are under us to listen to us. The husband wants that the wife listen to him. In fact, some husbands demand that the wife listen to them. They will get so angry if their wife doesn't listen to them. All the wife has to do is even just make some suggestion Contrary to what the husband wants, and her hairs on his back rises. He becomes so angry and so upset that how dare she not listen to what I say. So does that man ever reflect that how many times that he doesn't listen to what Allah says? Does he think that he is more azim, more jalal, more aziz, he has more right to be obeyed than Allah has a right to be obeyed? So it means that if we as human beings even wish that those that we think are in our charge or those that we're responsible for or those that we think uh, are under us that they should listen to us so think how much Allah must view that it is right that we should listen to Him and Allah demands and He wants that we should listen to Him and leave the committing of all sins so we mentioned that one way that a person uh, is afflicted from their sins is they get worried so you should know that a person gets worried in life for two reasons there are two reasons, or there are two types of worries that a person has in life. Everybody in life gets worries. It doesn't matter how pious you become, it doesn't matter what you are, you become an alim, a sheikh, a hafiz, you leave the committing of sins, whatever you do, everybody in life, Allah will test them. But the difference is, is that there are two different ways Allah tests people. One way Allah tests people is as a means to draw them closer to Him. He shakes them up, he shakes their life up because he wants them to do rujua to him, he wants them to turn to him and uh, make dua to him and, and turn to him for help. And the second reason Allah sends affliction or trial on a person is, is the punishment for their sins. So now we have two things. But if any one of us has some difficulty in life, any one of us has some worry, so how will we know that is Allah Ta'ala testing me as he punishing me for my sins? Am I having this problem because Allah Ta'ala is upset at me for something I did and this is a punishment for my sin? 
Or am I having this difficulty because Allah is testing me, he's enticing me, and he wants me to come back to him? So again, our Mashaikh has explained that there are some signs or symptoms through which a person can tell that which one of these is happening to him. That is this difficulty coming to him as a punishment for his sins, or is this difficulty coming to him in order to draw him closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? So the first sign, the first sign that this worry has come to you as a punishment for your sin, is that if this worry comes with zilla, if you become a zalil, if you become disgraced in your family, if you become disgraced in society, if you become disgraced in the workplace, if there is some zilla, if there is some disgrace and dishonor that comes with this worry, that means it's a wabal, it's a punishment from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So if you have some difficulty in which you were disgraced before others, that means that this punishment, this difficulty came as a punishment for your sins. The second sign is if during this test, during this worry, during this difficult time, you feel depressed, you have anxiety, you have depression, you fall into a rut, you fall into an emotional low, that's the second sign that this punishment or this test, this trial, this tribulation has come as a form of punishment for your sins. And the third thing is if you find that when you're in this tough time, when Allah Ta'ala tests you in this manner, you start leaving your a'mal, you find it difficult to pray your salah, your heart doesn't wish to pray, you stop coming to the masjid, your Muslim brother finds you in the street and says, Oh brother, I didn't see you in the masjid. And you tell him that, Oh, you know, I'm having this difficult time. Make du'a for me, inshallah, I'll come. Or you even tell people that make du'a for me, Allah Ta'ala, na'uzu billah, al-aman al-hafiz. You say Allah Ta'ala doesn't accept, Allah Ta'ala doesn't answer my du'as. Why don't you make du'a for me? So if you go down in your ibadah, this is a sign that this difficulty in your life has come as a punishment for your sin. This is why Allah Taala said in Quran, "Ma asabakum min musibatin fabima kasabat aidikum." That no musibah, no difficulty comes to you except bima kasabat aidikum, except that what you have earned with your own hands, you reap what you sow. So, if a musibah, if a difficulty comes to you with these type of signs, that you have zilla, you get some type of disgrace, or you have depression or anxiety, or number three, you find that your amal or that your ibadat you go down. This is a sign that this difficulty, this test is come from a punishment from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to punish you for your sins. And in contrast, if during this test, this difficulty, you don't have dhilla, but rather your hope in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala increases, you turn to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala more, your ibadat and your a'mal increase, because you're having a difficult time. Before, if you used to pray five times a day, now you rise up in the night for tahajjah. Now you're praying nafil, nawafil, extra salah, praying to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, making more dua, turning to Him to solve your problems. If you didn't read Quran, all of a sudden you start reading Quran. You start giving sadaqah. You start coming to the masjid more. If you feel that your ibadat and your a'mal and your relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala goes up during this test and trial, that means that this test came to you not as a punishment for your sins, but as a means to draw you closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That Allah Ta'ala gave you this difficulty because He wanted you to increase in your worship. He wanted to draw you closer to Him. He wanted to give you those darajat, those levels uh, that you might not have gotten if you remained content. He knew that He needed to shake you up in order to make you increase in your ibadah. And the second sign is that if you don't feel, uh, if you don't feel uh, depressed, when you don't feel depressed, but although you're worried, although you have this difficulty in your life, in your school, but your heart isn't depressed. Inside your heart is still at peace. 
And that is a sign also that this difficulty has not come as a form of punishment, but this difficulty has come to draw you closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this was the condition of our, 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 our mashayikh, our sallallahu in fact, the anbiya. If you look at Apostle some certain hadith, that if you look at all the difficulties I've had in my life, you put all the difficulties that all of the un- other anbiya, and in some rewai that means 123,999 others, right? All of the other anbiya on one side of the scale and the difficulties I've had, the oppression, the opposition I faced on one side, Prophet Sam said about himself that I've had more difficulty than all of the other anbiya combined. But Prophet Sam, his heart was always at peace. His heart was always at sukun, itminan, tranquility, contentment, serenity. So if we have that sunnah state of the heart, that even though we're afflicted with some opposition, some difficulty, but inside our hearts are content, then that's the second sign that this difficulty, this test, does not come as a punishment for your sins, but has a come as a means that Allah wishes to draw you closer to Him. Or Allah wishes to test your iman and to make you steadfast, or wishes to grant you sabr, or wishes to grant you the level of istiqama or perseverance and fortitude and steadfastness on this thing. So now, this is one of the golden benefits of learning these things from our Mashaikh. Because now what we can do, it's almost like the answer is out. So what it means, what do I mean? That whenever now any one of us has a difficulty, now we should make sure that we become amongst those people who have that test as a means to draw them close to Allah. And we don't let ourselves be those people who have a test who is a punishment for their sins. For example, if you have some test, some difficulty in your life, and you find yourself falling into depression, you find yourself leaving your a'mal and your ibadah, then get worried and think this is a sign that Allah is angry with me. So force yourself. Literally, sometimes you must force yourself. There's nothing wrong with that. Force yourself to increase in your ibadah. Make yourself have those symptoms, those signs of those people who test come to them to draw them closer to Allah. So what was their sign? Was that the increase in their ibadah, the increase in their a'mal. So next time, anytime you have a difficulty, force yourself to increase in your ibadah. Don't lose or skip or drop anything that you're doing and add something to it. Increase your Qur'an, increase your zikr, increase your tilawah, your nafal, your salah, increase your a'mal, and make yourself amongst those people whom Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sends tests upon them to draw them closer to Him. So just like there were two types of worries or two types of tests that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sends, Know that when he does punish us for our sins, there are two types of punishment. Two ways that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will punish us. And this is something that we really need to understand because this is one of the ways we deceive ourselves. Is that we commit a sin and we don't see that we get punished. Right? Somebody might even say, people sometimes say that. You know I'm doing this sin, but... Everything in life is going fine. My job is still going fine. I'm still making money. None of the things you say are happening to me. Nobody's disobeying me. Nothing, nothing, nothing bad has happened to me. I don't see that jaza that you talk about. I don't see that recompense or retribution that, you, that the Quran speaks of. My life is going fine. And sometimes that's why we don't leave our sins. Because life is going fine. Life is going smooth. So because we don't see any practical harm or any, we don't see we're losing anything from committing that sin. So because of that, we don't stop committing that sin. We'll know that Allah SWT, in addition to immediately punishing you for sin, or giving you that jaza in some of the ways I told you, that you'll have some worry in your life, or somebody will disobey you, Allah SWT has two other ways for punishing you for sin. 
So don't think that you've gone scot-free or you've saved yourself from punishment. Listen to these two other ways and then you will realize that surely any one of us who is committing any type of sin, Allah is punishing us in one of these ways. So the first of these two extra ways is what we call ta'khir. That Allah delays in his jaza. He delays in punishing us for this sin. So he doesn't punish us immediately. So, and, and one reason for this is one of the names, we mentioned the names of Allah is because Allah is Al-Halim. And what does Al-Halim mean? Listen carefully. Al-Halim means that that being which has the qudrat, which has the power to take you to task, to punish you, to take you to account, but hold back from doing so. Have him, has forbearance, hold back from taking you to account. This is the sifat of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that sometimes he will deal with you as Al-Halim. Sometimes he will hold back from punishing you, even though he has the qudrat, the power, the ability to do so. Why? Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala remains hopeful that you might do tawbah. Allah Ta'ala wants to give you a stay, a period, before He punishes you, hoping that you will see the light, you will reflect on your sin, you yourself will turn to Him without Him having to punish you, or giving you some worry or depression or anxiety in this world, and that you will turn to Him in forgiveness and repentance, and you will leave your sin. To Allah Subhanahu Ta'ala is not like an electric wire that He gives you death at first touch. He gives you chances. He gives you chances over and over again. Sometimes you will commit a sin, Allah Ta'ala will wait. In fact, it comes in one hadith that you know we have in Quran, it comes the Karam and Katibin, that there are angels who write the deeds that you do. There's one angel who writes the good deed, and there's one angel who writes the bad deed. Well, as all of you know, in, in our deen, there's a system of Amir. That for every Jamaat, there is an Amir. So in these angels, obviously the Amir is that angel who writes the good deed. So it comes in hadith that the second a person commits a good deed, comes in hadith that the second a person does a good action, that angel immediately writes it down. But when a person commits a sin, the angel who writes the sin, he lifts up his pen, but the angel who writes good deeds, he tells him to wait. He says, don't write it right now. Wait, maybe that person will reflect after he did the sin immediately and realize what he did. Maybe he'll repent from that sin and there won't be need to write it. So that angel waits for some time, and it's a bit unclear how, much, how long that time is, and then eventually then if that person fails to make his tikfar and tawbah, then that angel who writes the bad deeds, he's allowed by the good angel, or they're both good angels, about the angel who writes the good deeds, he's allowed by that angel to write down that sin. Al-Halim. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is Al-Halim. Sometimes he delays in our punishment. So if we think that we are committing a sin and nothing's happening, nothing bad is happening to us, don't think that you've gotten off scot-free. It just means that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in his kindness to you, he is dealing with you with Al-Halim. He is delaying your punishment, hoping that you will turn to him in Tawbah. In fact, Allah subhanahu waits for us to drown in sin. Allah will not punish you at the first offense. But when you become drowned in sin, when you let yourself become encompassed by sin, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala punishes. He says in Quran al-Kareem, Bala, man kasabat sayyatan wa ahatat bihi khati'atuhu fa'ula'ika ashabun narhum fiha khalidun. Bala, man kasabat sayyatan. Verily that person who commits some sin. Wa ahatat bihi khati'atuhu. And then ahata, he is surrounded, encompassed by his sin. 
Whereas he lets himself fall into the abyss of sin, such that he is enveloped and surrounded in sin, النار, those are the people of Jahannam, they will dwell therein forever. So Allah will decree the punishment for you when you let yourself become, uh, when you let yourself become surrounded or encompassed by sin. So it means that Allah has given us some delay, sometimes in his punishment, there is ta'khir. For example, I'll give you an example how sometimes Allah may punish you a little bit later on in life. If there's an older man and he has some son and his son is disobedient to him and he thinks, well, you know, I've turned back to the deen, I've become a religious person. Why is it that all of a sudden I'm being punished in this manner? Well, then all you need to do is ask him that think that you may be not committing sins right now, but have you repented from all the sins that you did when you were a young man? So that man, that older, middle-aged or older man might think that, no, there are probably so many sins that I did as a young man that I never repented from them. So maybe this is that delayed punishment. This is that delayed jaza that a person might find in his middle age or his old age. That maybe his son might disobey or he might have some worry in life or may have some problem at work. This could not necessarily be, this is not necessarily a punishment for some sin he did today or he did yesterday. It could be a punishment from some sin he did 10 or 15 or 20 years ago. So Allah and for those of us who are young, and we don't want us, neither would we want Allah to punish us now, nor would we want him to punish us uh, at any time in the future. So we should think that if Allah is not doing anything to us now, maybe he'll do something to us later when I grow old. So it's better that I leave the committing of all sins, as Allah has commanded me, that I should turn to Allah in tawbah and repentance. So the first way is that ta'khir. Allah Ta'ala may delay your sin. The second way is what they call tadbir. Tadbir means that there is some hikmat, some hidden wisdom, some planning, something that Allah Ta'ala is doing, some reason why He isn't calling us to account or punishing us for our sin in this world. And what, how, what does Allah Ta'ala do this? And this is a very, very powerful eye of the Qur'an al-Kareem. If you reflect on this, and then you will understand, even especially for those people who say that, oh, well, I have this friend and he consumes interest, and he doesn't pray, and look at him, his life is going fine, and he has such a big house, and he has such a nice car, so how can you say that you get punished for your sins? So listen to this ayah, sometimes this is what we call the tadbir of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the inner wisdom or the inner planning of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Qur'an al-Kareem, فَلَمَّا نَسُوا مَا ذُكِّرُوا بِهِ when they forget that which they were reminded of. That is, when they forget to f- the commandments of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when they forget the ways of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when they become so lost in their sin, so lost in their ghafla, their heedlessness, that they are totally oblivious to the sharia and the sunnah. فَتَحْنَا عَلَيْهِمْ أَبْوَابَ كُلَّ شَيْءٍ That we open up for them the doors for each and everything. Everything is given to them. فَتَحْنَا We give them fatah, we open up to them all of the ni'mas. حَتَّى إِذَا فَرِحُوا Until they become happy, they become pleased, they become content, they live the good life. بِمَا أُوتُوا حَتَّى إِذَا فَرِحُوا بِمَا أُوتُوا That they become happy and content with what they are given. So what is the condition of these people? فَلَمَّا نَسُوا مَا So they forgot the ways of the deen. They left, they led lives of sin. So Allah did not punish them immediately. Nor did he do ta'khir, did he delay their punishment, he did what we call tadbir. What did he do? It says in Quran, 
that he opened up to them the doors of everything, granted them everything, every name of this world, everything that they wanted. Until they became happy with that which was given to them. So they became happy and lost in all the blessings that Allah was given them. Then what did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala do? أَخَذْنَاهُمْ بَغْدَةً That we grabbed them suddenly. أَخَذْنَاهُمْ بَغْدَةً That we grabbed them suddenly. We sent our punishment on them suddenly. From out of the blue. They had no idea it was coming. What does this mean? It means that sometimes if we feel that we're committing sin and we're still living a good life and Allah Ta'ala is still sending His mercies on us. He's still showering us with His blessings. It means that Allah Ta'ala, because our hearts were so hard, we had no desire to repent, so Allah Ta'ala is just increasing us in that what we want. He's saying, fine, my slave, my servant, you wish to forget me? You wish to leave a life of sin? Go. Leave that life. We open up the doors to sin. We open up the paths to sin to you. Lead that life, lead that life, lead the life that you want, but one day, Allah Ta'ala's akhaz will come unto you suddenly. How many of us want to fall in that sudden grasp of punishment of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala on the Day of Judgment? How many of us think that we can handle that akhaz in the akhazahu alimun shadeed? So it means, my friends, that if we don't feel the effects of our sins now, we may feel them later. They might be takhir, or even worse, they might be tadbir. That Allah Subhanahu wa Taala is making us immune to uh, to following the Deen and Sharia, and Allah Taala is letting us lose ourselves in this way of sin. So if a person commits sin and doesn't see any difference, doesn't see any punishment, he should again save himself from this type of people. So if we think, look at our lives, if we were doing any sin and we found no difference in our life, that Allah Ta'ala kept giving us, maybe even increased us in na'mas, we should become scared. We shouldn't become happy. Hatta idha farahu, no. We should become scared. We should have hope and khashiyah that maybe Allah is doing this with us. So we should turn to Allah. It's all the more necessary for that person who is not feeling that worry of his sin in this life, to turn to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, lest he be made so immune and so uh, obtuse to what he is doing. In fact, sometimes also Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala may be making us mahroom, may be removing some ni'mar from us and we don't even know it. In a hadith it comes, a very strange hadith that Prophet mentioned, it's a story of one of the abid uh, one of the uh, worshippers of the Bani Israel. He used to commit some sin, and just like this, Allah Ta'ala still increased his blessings upon him and nothing happened. So the Prophet said in the hadith that this then servant of Bani Israel actually made dua to Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. Made a strange dua. He said that, Oh Allah, how kind and generous you are that I sin against your rules and still you have not removed any of the ni'mah, any of the blessings that you have given me. So he made this dua. That, oh Allah, how kind and generous you are, that I have been sinning against you, I've been disobeying your rules, and still you haven't removed any of the ni'mas or blessings to me. And the Apostle said that as soon as this person made this dua, then a voice called out to him that, oh my servant, do you not know how many blessings we have taken away from you? So then he responded, oh Allah, what have you taken away from me? And then Al-Fatah said, that I've taken away the lazza of ibadah. I've taken away the pleasure of worship from you. That is how I've punished you. In other words, I've taken away the greatest na'mah, the greatest blessing and bounty there can be. So you no longer enjoy making salah. You no longer enjoy making du'a. Your heart doesn't desire to read Qur'an. Your heart doesn't desire to make dhikr. 
So think, maybe how many of us can think that maybe we have this punishment for our sin if nothing else? That maybe as a result of our sins, our hearts are unable to taste the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Like a person who is sick, right? My Ustaz in Bukhari used to give this example. Like a person who is sick, when you are sick, you'll find a person sick, he loses his sense of taste on his tongue. In fact, if you put ice cream in front of him, you put chicken soup in front of him, you put anything in front of him, it's all the same to him. He has no appetite for good, delicious foods, nor does he have any taste for delicious foods. Just like that, that person who is spiritually sick, he has no appetite for ibadat, he has no taste for the sweetness of ibadah, because the way Allah has punished him is he has taken away the lazza, the sweetness of ibadah from him. That is his punishment. If that alone is a person's punishment, then what greater punishment could that be in this world? What, what, el- what comfort then are the creature comforts that we may have, that our job and our wealth and our money, when Allah has removed the pleasure and the lazza of his ibadah, of his zikr in our life? So sometimes Allah also punishes us in this way. Another place Allah makes us mahrum. And this is the thing is that we don't view ourselves. Mahrum means that Allah makes us bereft. Allah makes us devoid. Allah Allah keeps us or makes us fail to do some particular type of ibadah. For example, it's fajr. If a person doesn't wake up for fajr, he shouldn't think, why am I unable to wake up for fajr? What do I need to do to wake up for fajr? What do I need to... What is the reason I'm not waking up for fajr? No. What he should think is what have I done that I've angered Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so much that he has made me mahroom, that he has made me bereft from praying fajr. What have I done that has angered Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so much that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not wish to see my face at fajr? That's how a person should think. The Allah ta'ala does not wish my name to be written amongst the ranks of people who pray fajr salah. What have I done that I've angered my Lord so much? This is what it means to become mahroom. This is a form of the punishment of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So if ever we feel that we're not doing something from the deen, we're not able to pray this salah, we're not able to do this thing, so we should think that, oh Allah, what have I done? Whatever it is that I have done, Allah Ta'ala, that has made you so displeased with me, that you do not wish to put me in the ranks of the ibad of your worshippers at these noble and blessed and sacred times, Allah Ta'ala, forgive me for that sin. Allah Ta'ala, give me the tawfiq to repent of my the success to repent of my ways, and include me too amongst the ranks of your worshippers. Let me rise up in those hours of the early morning, or the pre-dawn, or at the dawn, so that I also can worship you when people all over the world are worshipping you. So this is what it means to be mahrum. Our Mashaikh have said that there are three things that if a person does them, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sends his help, his madad, his nusra to him. That if there are three intentions or actions that a person does, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will send his special help, will make sure that you complete that task. The first thing is that anybody who makes a sincere niyyah to build a masjid, if anybody makes a sincere niyyah to build a masjid, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala through his own uh, unseen and hidden treasures, his hidden stores, he makes the means, he makes the asbab, he creates the means and methods for that person to complete his task. And you can just look around you, where in the world are the unfinished masjids? Can you find anywhere in the world that there's a masjid sitting there half finished that hasn't been completed for 10-15 years? No. Whenever a person with ikhlas begins his task of building a masjid, 
even if somewhere in the middle or even in the beginning he might not apparently have the means to take his project to completion, Allah Ta'ala sends his special madad, his nusra, his help on that person and sees to it that he completes the building of that masjid. The second thing that comes in hadith, that when a man wants to marry his daughter away, but he doesn't have money, he doesn't have the wasail, he doesn't have the means to do so, but he makes the niyyah that Allah Ta'ala, I wish to marry her to save her chastity uh, and to uh, give her a good life, so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala helps that person when that person does tawakkul, when he re- relies and depends and trusts upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and Allah ta'ala will help him in some way and will arrange for uh, that person to have his daughter get married. And the third thing that the Mashaik write is that that person who makes a sincere irada, who makes a sincere intention, desire to leave the committing of a sin. If a person sincerely desires to leave a sin in his heart, and this action is so beloved to Allah SWT that Allah sends His special help on him and will see to it that He will take him out from that sin, He will extract him from the depths of that sin. Provided that person has a sincere, deep intention to leave that sin. So the firmer our intention is, the more Allah SWT will help us. In fact, all we have to do is present ourselves to Allah SWT. Allah SWT says in Quran, that know that the nafs commands you to evil, except not the person who saved himself, not the person who did this gear of himself, but who is saved, except for that person who Allah Ta'ala, my Rabb, Allah Ta'ala, our Lord, has sent his mercy upon. So it's only from the rahmah of Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala that we can extract ourselves from any type of sin. Now that person who does true tawbah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives him three rewards. That person who truly repents from his sins, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives him three rewards. The first thing is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala puts a light on his face. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala puts a spiritual light, a radiance upon his face as a result of his khushu, of his khuzu, of his uh, humility, of his concentration, of his fear for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because he remembers Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the depths of the night. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala puts a light on his face as mentioned in Arabic saying, Alladheena is Allah, that they are such people when they are beheld, when you behold them, when you look upon their face, when you gaze upon their countenance, you remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And surely the effects of our actions come on people's faces. All you have to do is just look at the faces of the pop stars of today, right? I remember once I was traveling with my sheikh in the plane and, uh, there, and there was an empty seat next to us and somebody left a magazine sitting on the seat. So his face fell on the magazine and the cover of the magazine was the face of one of these famous uh, pop stars whose name is even not fitting to take in the masjid. And uh, our sheikh looked at his, looked, happened to look at that magazine and then he looked at me and said, look at these people's faces. You can see the effect of their sin, their najasa, their nahusa, their murdudiya, their rejection, their repudiation. And compare that to the faces of our shayukh, our ulama, our akabir, that the light that is radiant from their face, from the love that they have for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The light that radiates from the sunnah of the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa So the first thing that a person does toba is that a light comes upon his face. The second thing, more importantly, is that a surur, a sukoon, a itminan comes unto his heart. A happiness, a peace and tranquility comes into his heart. His heart becomes at peace and at ease. Because surely that person who is sinning, it means he's leading a dishonest life. He's leading a duplicitous life. 
he is fooling himself and he is deluding himself, how can that person's heart ever be at peace? But that person who repents to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is sincere, is his repentance, then his heart becomes peace and tranquil. And the third thing is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala becomes his helper. Because when a person leaves the committing of sin and depends totally on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, has pure tawakkal on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, وَمَنْ يَتَوَكَّلْ عَلَى اللَّهِ فَهُوَ حَسْبُهُ That that person who turns and relies and depends and trusts upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, فَهُوَ حَسْبُهُ That Allah ta'ala himself will be his helper, his guide, will be everything that he needs, will fulfill for each and every one of his needs. So how would not any one of us want that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will fulfill all of our needs? That Allah ta'ala would be our helper and our guide, our companion in each and everything that we do? Should we stop or should we keep going? So, just a few more minutes, inshallah. Know that uh, Sayyidina Ali Radhanan, who once said that this is how I recognized Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He said, How do I know Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? He said, I recognize Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala by seeing that whatever I plan doesn't always happen. In other words, if, if there was no God, if there was no divine being, then whatever I planned should happen. But sometimes for unknown reasons to me, whatever I planned in my life, it doesn't happen. Something goes wrong, something goes differently. So it shows to me that there's some higher being, some higher authority, which is planning things. So then he said that, that and then what I've decided is that I will then sacrifice, since that one, I realize that there's a higher being than me, so is it not better than that I sacrifice my wishes for the wishes of that being. And then he said that that person who sacrifices his wishes, who annihilates his wishes, and submits himself purely to the dictates to the pleasures of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah ta'ala will then fulfill all the wishes of that person. So in other words, the easy way to have happiness in this life is to give everything up, uh, give up all your uh, unlawful desires and your unlawful wishes for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will even grant you everything that you need in this world. But the last thing I want to say today and this can be the most important thing I've said tonight. So listen very carefully. The last thing we will mention tonight, inshallah, is that Armashayik have mentioned that there are three signs that a person's heart has become hard. That in their hearts is a sickness, is a disease that prevents them from accepting the deen or ex- prevents them from following the deen. Allah SWT says that he has put a layer of, of rust. He has rust-coated their hearts, has prevented the nur, the rahmah of Allah SWT, or the nur, the rahmah of this iman, from penetrating into their hearts. That their hearts have become so hard that they're even harder than rocks. Allah coins a simile in Quran that even from the rocks, springs of water can gush forth, but their hearts are even harder than that. So what are the signs? There are three signs that our Messiah have given that a person's heart has become hard. The first sign that a person's heart has become hard is he no longer feels hesitation in committing sin. He does not hesitate to commit sin. He is emboldened, he is bold in committing that sin. He does not hesitate to click that button. He does not hesitate to raise his gaze where he shouldn't look. He does not hesitate to put his money in that interest-bearing bank account. He does not hesitate to raise his hand towards his wife. He does not hesitate to commit sin. He does not hesitate to sleep through Fajr. He feels no hesitation, no difficulty in committing sin. This is the first sign that a person's heart has hardened. 
The second sign that a person's heart has hardened. is that he or she loses the desire to do ibadat. She loses the desire to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. She has no desire to pray her salah. He has no desire to read the Qur'an. He has no desire to even come for tarawih. He just comes out of a customer because people tell him to. So if he loses the desire, the yearning, the burning, that flame in his heart to become an abd, to become an abid, to become a worshiper of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, this is the second sign that a person's heart has hardened or maybe even that a person's heart has died. And the third sign is that if anybody offers that person advice, if anybody gives that person nasiha, if anybody tells that person that this is the ruling of the sharia, if anybody tells that person that this is what Allah has said in Qur'an, if anybody tells that person that this is what the beloved messenger sallallahu said in the sunnah, that person doesn't want to listen to that nasiha. He doesn't want to hear it. He says, don't tell me those things. He'll say, you say those things are sharia, they're just part of some culture. I'm an enlightened Muslim, I've left that culture. He doesn't want to receive the nasiha. He doesn't want to be told what is sunnah. He doesn't want to be told what is sharia. He doesn't want to be told what is Qur'an. He says, don't tell me those things. Don't speak of these things to me. This is the third sign that a person's heart is hardened. Now, whether he says that with his tongue, or whether he sits there and thinks that in his heart, that he doesn't need to know these things. So this is the third sign that a person's heart is hardened. Is that he doesn't wish to receive any type of nasiha. And our elders, they used to love to get nasiha. The sahaba used to just give nasiha to one another all the time. They used to be worried about one another's islah, about one another's rectification. They used to give reward to that person who used to say something to them. Once a person uh, scolded, or you can say reprimanded, or uh, called Sayyidina Umar to account, and said that you should remember death. Sayyidina Umar when he became a khalifa, he asked that person to stay with them. It's written in his biography. And that person would call out, the person's job in his khalifa was to call out from time to time, that, oh Umar, you should remember death. Oh, Omar, remember where it is that you came from. Oh, Omar, remember your humble origins. They used to love to get nasiha. So these are the three signs that a person's heart has hardened. My friends, we should think that do we have any of these signs in us? And this is and the reason we need to get nasiha from one another is because Prophet said, that the believer is the mirror or the reflection of his fellow believer. So we can only understand one another in the mirror images of ourselves by looking at ourselves and comparing us to those who are better than us in the deen, by comparing our iman, our taqwa, our ibadat, and our amal to those who are elder than us. Only when we put ourselves in their light will we realize how weak, how needy, how deficient, how inadequate that we are. So if we have these three signs in our heart, we should think, that how, what can we do to soften these dead hearts? What is it that we can do to ask Allah to forgive us for our sins, and this is the thing that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has said in Quran, that if you leave the committing of all the sins that you do, the external and internal ones, if you turn to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in tawbah, if you do those steps that Sayyidina Adam alayhi salam did, you do ikrar, you testify to your sins, you have nadamah, you have remorse and regret for what you did, you do istighfar and tawbah, you seek the forgiveness and you repent to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you look to the rahmah, you look to the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then in this blessed month of Ramadan, in this blessed last ten days of the month of Ramadan, 
in the less than odd nights of the last ten days of the month of Ramadan, you can turn to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from the depth of your heart, and it is not beyond Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He is the muqallib al-qulub. He is the transformer of hearts. He is the one who can change the condition of our hearts. He is the one who can soften our dead hearts. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give all of us a tawfiq to not let this Ramadan end except that our hearts have become softened to His remembrance that our hearts have become softened to his obedience, that the hardness and the firmness and the darkness of our hearts is removed, and we too become amongst the ibadillah salihin. ربنا ظلمنا أنفسنا وإن لم تغفر لنا وترحمنا لنكونن من الخاسرين Ya Allah, tonight in this month of Ramadan, Allah Ta'ala, your sinning servants sit before you. Ya Allah, we testify to all the sins that we ever did. نحن مقدون بذنوبنا Ya Allah, we testify, we do ikrar of all the sins that we ever did. We acknowledge ourselves to be the sinning and unfaithful servants of this deen. Ya Allah, forgive us for all the sins that we ever did. Ya Allah, keep us away from all the sins that we ever did. Ya Allah, remove all the effects of the sins that we did. Remove all the traces of sin from our minds. Remove the memories of the sins that we did from our hearts. Ya Allah, remove the memories of the pleasures of the sins that we did. Ya Allah, remove the effects of all the sins that we did. Ya Allah, remove all the thoughts of sin from our minds. Remove the desire to do sin from our heart. Ya Allah, surely no one can be saved from sin. Illa man rahima rabbi. Except those people who, Ya Allah, Ya Rabbi Kareem, those people upon whom you send your rahmah and mercy. Ya Allah, you are hamar rahimin. Ya Allah, we beg of you on this night to shower your mercy upon us, to change the condition of our hearts. Ya Allah, we beg of you to change our dead hearts. Ya Allah, we beg of you to soften our hearts to your ibadah, to harden our hearts to your disobedience. Ya Allah, to soften our hearts to your worship, to soften our hearts to your remembrance. We ask you to place your love in our hearts. Ya Allah, we ask of you to increase us in our love for you, in our love for the beloved messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, in our love for those who love you. Ya Allah, we ask of you to make us amongst the, your beloved, make us amongst the ranks of the beloved of the messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, and make us the beloved of those who are your beloveds. Ya Allah, please us increase us in this way of love. Ya Allah, make each and every atom of our body be your abd. Make each and every atom of our body worship you. Make each and every atom of our body be permeated with your dhikr, with your remembrance. Ya Allah, we too want to be amongst the dhakirin, amongst the sabirin, amongst the mutawakkilin, amongst the tawabin, amongst the mutatahirin, amongst the muhsinin, amongst the muttikin, amongst the sabirin. And Allah Ta'ala raise us on the day of judgment amongst the mu'mineen and the muslimin. Ya Allah, forgive us for all the sins that we ever did. Forgive us for the sins that we committed in the day. Forgive us for the sins that we committed at night. Forgive us for the sins that we did deliberately. Forgive us for the sins that we committed unknowingly. Ya Allah, forgive us for the sins that we committed boldly. Forgive us for the sins that we committed hesitantly. Ya Allah, forgive us for all the lies that we did to cover our sin. Forgive us for all the deceit that we did to cover up our sin. Forgive us for all the things that we did to cover up our sin. Ya Allah, Ya Sitar. Ya Allah, just the way you have forgive, you have uh, veiled and, and shrouded and covered and concealed our sins in this world. Ya Allah, cover and or conceal our sins on that day of judgment. Ya Allah, do not let our sins be exposed in front of the Ummah on the day of judgment. Do not let our sins be exposed in front of the beloved Messenger, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, in front of the Sahaba 
الكرام لدنا أجمعين إن فرد التعبين إن فرد أمم المجتهدين إن فرد المحدثين مفسرين يا الله how will we find a place in those ranks يا الله only through your rahmah يا الله shower your rahmah upon us this day يا الله purify our hearts on this night يا الله to purify our souls on this night so that we too may be worthy of a place under the shade of your throne يا الله the shade of your throne on that day where there will be no other shade يا الله your beloved messenger صلى الله عليه وسلم the hadith that ya Allah and those people who meet one another for your sake only for the sake of your remembrance that ya Allah you will grant them your shade of your throne on the day of judgment ya Allah tonight there are people gathered here today that we came only to we met one another only for your sake we part with one another only for your sake ya Allah grant us as well surely your prophet spoke truly and surely you are the most true of the true ones ya Allah grant us as well a place underneath the shade of your throne on the day of judgment ya Allah your beloved messenger said when people from different areas gather for your dhikr, for the remembrance of Allah, that a special sakina, a special tranquility will descend upon them. Ya Allah, tonight people from different areas of the world, people from different areas of America are gathered in your dhikr and your remembrance. Ya Allah, send your special sakina upon us on this night. Ya Allah, let us worship and worship you each and every night as if it is the night of Layl Taqadr. Ya Allah, let us worship you and stay away from sin each and every day the same way that we stay away from sins while we're in itikaf. Ya Allah, let us carry the barakah of this month of Ramadan forth. Ya Allah, let us fill us with so much barakat in this month that they will suffice, it for, suffice us for the entire year. Ya Allah, please forgive us for our sins. Ya Allah, those of us who have passed away, those of our dear ones, one brother in itikaf, one of his good friends and relatives passed away, Allah Ta'ala shower your makfir upon him. Ya Allah, forgive him for all the sins that he did. Ya Allah, save him from the punishment of the grave. And Ya Allah, if you have decreed your makfir for him already, then Ya Allah, increase his darajat in Jannah, increase his level and ranks in the Jannah. Make it easy for his family and loved ones that they left behind. Grant them the sabr jamil, grant them the patience, and make his passing away be a lesson for all of us. Ya Allah, let us be people who remember death abundantly. Let us be people who prepare for death abundantly. Ya Allah, shower your rahmah and mercy upon us in this month. Those of us who are sick, grant us health. We make the same du'a for all of our dearly departed ones, our akabra, our asatada, our ulama, our shayukh. Ya Allah, all of the dearly departed ones of this ummah, we pray for their maghfara and we pray for their darajat and jannah. Ya Allah, we pray for ourselves as well. Allahumma inna nas'aluka jannatun firdawsi bi ghayri hisab wa na'udhu bika min nar Ya Allah, we beg of you to grant us the highest rank in jannah and, fill, and, and not even take our account on the day of judgment and we ask of you to save us from the hellfire. Ya Allah, those of us who are sick, grant us health. Those of us who are needy, grant us the rizki halal tayyib, the purest and noblest forms of wealth. Ya Allah, those of us have any difficulties, Ya Allah, let us overcome our worries and difficulties. Ya Allah, let us now meet all of our tests and challenges as those people who get those challenges to draw us closer to you. Let there be a means of us to increase in our ibadah and increase in our a'mal. Let us be people of raju and inaba. Let us be a people of tawakkul and tawbah. Make us amongst the mutawakkilin and amongst the tawabin. Ya Allah, make us better to our wives. Make us better to our husbands. Make us better to our children. Make us better to our parents. Ya Allah, put the adab and akhlaq of the beloved messenger in our heart. Let us be better members of our families, better members of our communities and our societies. Let us be a light of guidance and hidayah to the humanity at large. Ya Allah, we pray for all our Muslim brothers and sisters all over the world. Ya Allah, ta'ala shower your rahmah upon them on this month. Ya Allah, shower your special rahmah upon them in this month, especially for those who may be oppressed and those who may be needy and those who may be in harm's way. Ya Allah, we pray for all the people who are working for all the aspects of the deen. Ya Allah, shower your rahmah upon them and accept their efforts. 
ربنا تقبل منا إنك أنت السميع العليم وتوب علينا إنك أنت التواب الرحيم وصلى الله تعالى على حبيبه سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وأصحابه أجمعين برحمتك يا أرحم الراحمين